Cole Caulfield has his big boy contract. The Anaheim Ducks have a new coach. The Winnipeg Jets are going through a lot. And we have got one heck of a Stanley Cup Finals unfolding. However, it could be over with one more Vegas win. Episode 368 of the Lace My Podcast starts right now. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. Uh, in the middle of all of that tee-up, I forgot to mention a bunch of uh, notable yeah. trades involving the Columbus Blue Jackets, and that's where we're starting things off, I believe. Yeah, yeah. That, that, uh, I was wondering why you didn't mention that, but I, I, don't know. <laughs> I guess there's a lot of news to cover. Um, also, before we start, I also want to hope, hope that anyone who's listening in Canada and the Ontario and Quebec regions, or even in New York and Philadelphia... Uh, during this like uh, wildfire and air qual- poor air quality are all staying safe and doing what's necessary. But um, yeah, it's definitely a scary, scary time there as well. So um, Yeah, Brett, for context, show me some pictures in yeah. Boston and uh, oh, where no. some of his relatives are in New York and yeah, you, yeah. like the typical orange skies. Yeah, like what crazy. the heck am I looking at? Well, it's crazy because it started in Canada. So I, it's uh, it just like shocked me when my my brother who lives in New York he was uh, showing me these pictures and it's like orange skies it felt like an Instagram filter and it's like a dystopia yeah. and all that stuff and so uh, yeah it, that was when it really started to hit me it's like oh god this is not good so yeah not uh, uh, the very creepy kind of sunset yeah, exactly it's like a dystopia we're living in but yeah. on that note let's uh, distract ourselves by talking about hockey here. Um, yes, yeah, so, uh, so yes, yeah, Steve is correct. We, uh, Columbus made a lot of moves. It's interesting, too, because I feel like in years past, like, teams just, or, like, teams just wait to hold off on trades for the Stanley Cup Finals. But yeah, I guess, like, we have yeah. two noteworthy trades yeah. during the Finals. I can't yeah. for the life of me, in all my years of following hockey, remember yeah. a time where that happened. Well, like, that and, like, the fact that I feel like in recent weeks, too, there's been a lot of, like, other hockey news, too, like, coaches being hired, just, like, speculate, like, GMs, the whole Kyle Dubas situation, it's just, like, it feels like there's been more action, like, outside of the playoffs that's going on. Uh, and that's an usual. indication of a busy offseason, I think. Like, yeah. if, if this Maybe. is what's happening during the finals... Just yeah. wait until everyone is doing off-season business. Yeah, which is interesting, too, because this, like, the draft, the free agent class is not going to be good, supposedly, so. Um, but, yeah, we'll see. Um, and also, like, the, I don't think the cap is going up a significant amount either, so we'll see. Um, but, yeah, so uh, we'll start off with the big trade here. Uh, so Columbus gets Ivan Provorov, um, and then, well, actually, let's, let's do it this way, because it is kind of a funny way how it's structured in, on Cap Friendly, but the Flyers trade Ivan Provorov to the Los Angeles Kings, um, and... No, oh, 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 sorry, originally, you're right, you're right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry, I forgot, they retained salary. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, that's why I'm mentioning it, um... (laughs) And then, uh, so the Flyers get Cal Peterson, Sean Walker, Helge Granz, and a 2024 second round pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, and then, and then LA trades Ivan Provorov to Columbus. They retain uh, 30%. Um, and 
Um, oh, oh, I, I guess the Kings also get Kevin Connaughton and Hayden Hodgkins from uh, the Flyers. Which is essentially minor death. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Um, and then, uh, yeah, so Columbus just gets Ivan Provorov, and 30% was retained from L.A. Um, and yeah. then uh, the Flyers get from Columbus a 2023 first-round pick, which happens to be the L.A. Kings' natural pick, because if you remember, they they did that um, uh, Gavrikov and uh, Korpisala trade uh, during the trade deadline period. Um, and fl- the Flyers... <laughs> The Flyers also get a 2024 second-round pick uh, from Columbus, and that's a conditional pick. Columbus must decide after the 2024 first round um, is complete if they're sending a 24 second-round pick or a 25 second-round pick to Philadelphia. So um, it's like, I know, it's like the craziest decisions that they're going to have to make. But, um, yeah, so that's the trade there. Um We'll get into because then uh, the Kings uh, then start to resign Vladislav Avrikov. Uh, but I think first we're going to talk about um, wh- why why Columbus does this and then why the Flyers do this. Um, and I think we can understand why the Kings do this because, like, first off, it gives them more room to sign Avrikov, which they did. Which they did, yeah, for a two-year, five point eight seven five million. Also, they've been trying to offload Cal Peterson. I guess they just gave up on Cal Peterson. Uh, they sent him to the AHL in December and haven't looked back. Um, and, uh, yeah, so then the Flyers get him. Um, I think the Flyers do this because, well, first off, they get that first-round pick so they can further work on their rebuild. Um and so, so that's definitely going to help the Flyers um, in that term. Um, there was that whole story about Ivan Provorov, about him not going to the, the Pride Parade, and like even before that, or you know, not doing Pride Night, and that started this whole, this whole thing. Um, and, then, um, and then eventually, like, you know, uh, Cam York actually had a pretty decent rookie season. Uh, and the Flyers are also in a rebuild mode anyways. Sean Walker and Helga Grands could actually be decent depth pieces for them as well, um, even if Cal Peterson doesn't work out, because um, they, you know, we can see what, what goes on there. But I think the, the key thing for the Flyers is that first-round pick. Um, there's also speculation. I feel weird even bringing it up because it is speculation. It is just that, but... Uh, there is speculation that Carter Hart might be dealt, uh, which in that sense is probably just for the fact that um, if they are just doing a full rebuild, then yeah, it makes sense to trade Carter Hart because he's going to be the guy that you could um, not afford to lose, but would get the most return back. And um, a weak goalie market where guys on the market are instantly probably the best option. Like, you would get a return, you would get a very good return from him now if you put him on the market. And he's like, I think he's like 26 years old. Um, Yeah, he's he's a very young goalie with a lot of promise in front of him. He's just played on a couple of very bad Flyers teams. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, like, you know, it, it kind of reminds me back when the Blackhawks had Alex Debrincat or Kirby Doc, it's like, why would you trade those guys when those are people that, like 
players that you could build your team around in a rebuild because they would help you with it for that. But at the same time, I'm thinking like, okay, it's like who are you gonna trade if it, if Carter Hart is off the table? And I guess it's like maybe Joel Farabee, maybe Travis Konechny. I guess Konechny actually makes the most sense. But yeah. like Farabee's on a five-year, uh, five million contract, so so that's not doable. Kevin Hayes, you might get something, but he's a he has three years with seven point one million left. It's like already three yeah. years. Hey, good God, that that friggin' signing has flown by so fast. I yeah, he has three years left. Um, but like you know, he's he could get a decent return even at that. Like I I would assume the Flyers would uh, retain that. Um, but like yeah, you like I I can't even like maybe you trade Sean Couturier, but he's on a long term contract. He also now has injury concerns. He I don't think anyone's old. picking up that contract exactly. with that injury history yeah, yeah. right now. You might be able to get someone to to take on Cam Atkinson. Um, yeah. Maybe um, he's on injured reserve right now, but 5.8 for two more years left. That's not bad. Um, yeah. And then I, I don't think we'll ever see Ryan Ellis again, unfortunately. Sadly. Um, but uh, but yeah, he's he's permanently on LTIR for the next four years, um, and yeah, and who knows what's gonna happen. I feel like that's like if if they do trade Carter Hart this summer, that would be the reason why they get Cal Peterson. But at the same, like you know, I guess there's like less pressure in that sense because then it's like okay, the Flyers are just not trying this year. And they're just like seeing what they have in Cal Peterson because Cal Peterson used to be a very like he was like determined like as the goaltender of the future. It wasn't so long ago that he was the goaltender of the future. It's just that the last two years he's had sub nine hundred save percentage. So it's like you know it's a decent risk to take. You could eventually get something from Cal Peterson. Of course he's not a Carter Hart. I would rather have Carter Hart. But, you know, you could definitely, you know, work your way around Cal Peterson if you are going to go full, uh, full rebuild and, and try to see what, what's possible with him. Um, but, you know, it's like, you know, it kind of reminds me of like a Matt Murray situation, except uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs were contending at the time. So um, it's, it's a little different. Um, but, yeah, so... Um, so yeah, that's why the Flyers do that, I think. Um, and then the the Blue Jackets is where I'm really not sure. I guess we can talk about that Damon Severson trade in just a little bit. But I mean, Provorov was like, I mean, just like Cal Peterson, you know, Provorov was a decent player at the start of his career, um, but then he kind of trailed off. And like, if you forget all the off the ice issues that he's had with the Pry Night stuff. It's like, mm-hmm. um, you you do that. The thing that I don't get, though, is is that, like, Zach Wierenski was gone for half the year. Uh, you have, uh, you you just drafted David Yerchek. You drafted uh, Matejchuk as well last year, who are both going to be very good defensemen. You have Corson Kuhlman's in the system. Uh, Jake Bean um, could be something. Adam Bogfist. Um, maybe is something Nick uh, Blinkenberg like you have a lot of defensemen here and then you add on Damon Severson and we'll, we'll talk about that in a second but 
I and then and then you also like you're gonna hire Mike Babcock, so you hire like a known bigot and a known bully coach. It's like, what are you doing, Yarmo? Like, like it's like you're you're getting two locker room cancers, known locker room cancers in your in your building, um, and you know, like they still have that third overall pick. Um, I would assume it's going to be Leo Carlson. Um, so. And he might be ready right away. We'll see. Um, but, but like, yeah, it's, it's just, like, I, I don't understand why Columbus does this. Uh, well, first off, you gave up a first and a second for Ivan Provrov, who's on the decline. That's yeah. your first mistake, in yeah, my yeah. opinion. I mean, I, mean I, I guess, well, like, he is on the decline. Like, he hasn't been good in a while, but... I will say that, like, he is also 26, so I could see him... That's not what I have the issue on. It's the fact that you have Zach Wierenski already. It's like, they basically do the same thing. So the thing is, is at at what point uh, in your career, like, maybe pushing 30, you end up at the point where basically you are what you are. Yeah. Like, this is what you're going to expect out of him every single year. Um, don't expect better. And Ivan Provorov had 27 points in 82 games, and that might be underwhelming stats on a bad Flyers team, so I'll cut him a bit of slack. He was only minus 17, so I would call that impressive. He averaged just over 23 minutes a night. However, his minutes went down from uh, a career-high 25 minutes in 2020-21 down slightly to 24.53 in 21.22 and then down to 23.01 so his minutes uh, went down by almost a full two minutes uh, last year but the biggest interesting uh, thing is uh, after three straight years of at least three minutes of uh, or at least uh, two minutes of power play time he averaged 3.03 in uh, 2019-20 2.23 the year after that and 2.14 the year after that only 48 seconds this past year per game on the power play. So it could have been a situation where Tortorella was trying to make him into an all-round defenseman and he was, you know, you know, maybe playing like a little bit of penalty kill and even strength and not as much on the power play and just more focusing on his overall game. He's a shot-blocking machine. He'll get you, like, I would say 160, 170 block shots uh, in a good year. Um, in terms of the hit parade, it's it's gone down a fair bit compared to his first three seasons, but he's he's you know hovering around like I would say ninety to a hundred hits per season right now. Um, he's a he's a fairly big defenseman. I would say he plays big at six foot one, um, but his best years were years where he got double digits and goals. Yep. He had 17 in his second year, 13 in his fourth year. Uh, since that 13 goal campaign, seven, nine, and six have been his goal totals. Um, so I, I'm just, I'm just curious where Columbus sees a guy like Ivan Provrov. And I'll pose the same question about Severson because are you considering him to be a top pair defenseman that can play in all situations that can maybe eat up 23, 24, 25 minutes a night, and you're taking the pressure off of Zach Renski. I can see taking the pressure off of Zach Renski as a logical excuse 
to bring in Profrov. At the same time, um, you're, I, I'm not really sure he can do what you expect out of him if he's suited for that, first of all. And second of all, if, uh, if he needs to have the right defensive partner, because part of uh, the rhetoric around Provrov, remember, when Niskanen retired, is, oh, well, what happens without Niskanen as his D partner? And he hasn't, I don't think, really had a great year um, after the Matt Niskanen retirement, and I think part of that is linked. So maybe by getting Severson in the grand scheme of things, maybe Columbus is just like, okay, well, maybe we can put him, you know, with a a reliable uh, pairing and maybe that'll fix things. Um, I just just feel like with the Provrov situation, at the very least, you have him under contract for two years and if it doesn't work out, then you can just sell him for assets. But I just feel it's kind of a risk when you consider that you're at a stage where you have a very young team and you're not really sure if you're going to be better next year. And this first round is supposed to have a lot of talented players. You just trade away 22nd overall. And this this is a a point in, in your, in your uh, team history where, you know, having a big first round could do great things for you moving forward. And in that sense, I, I kind of argue that's where the risk is for yeah. Columbus. With the Kings, obviously they should have wait, wait, that's can I, Before you go on to the Kings, um, I, I just wanted two points there. Um, yeah. The uh, one, uh, well, Provorov is 26 years old. Uh, so, like, yeah, he hasn't been good for a while. And, and, like, I guess what we're saying is his prime was, like, when he was 22 and 24. So there is still potential there that he could come back. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's more just like, well, Zach Wierenski is going to be back next year as well. So he's going to is going to take some of that time um, as well. So I'm not sure about that. The other point um, you were you were making, which I forgot, um, it might come back to me. So So continue moving on with your point. So the Kings, they offload some cap space. They get rid of the Cal Pearson contract, which is interesting because now it's oh, basically... Oh, I remember. I'm sorry. Um, the other point... <laughs> I, I apologize. Yeah. Uh, That's all good. That's all good. Yeah. Uh, was the fact that, like, yes, they do, They don't have their first anymore from the Kings, but they do have their third overall pick, which they'll probably draft Leo Carlson. They also have... Um, Cole Sillinger in the system. They also have Kent Johnson in the system. They have David Yerchek, um, who's going to be pretty good. They have uh, Denton Matejchuk as well, who's going to be pretty good too. So it's like, yeah, they they didn't they they don't have that first round pick from the Kings, but like they are still doing pretty well uh, from like a prospect standpoint. Oh, I forgot to mention even like Jordan Dumay, who had a a really yeah. nice season in the QMJHL. So it's like, it's not just like, like, like it would be bothersome if this was like Pittsburgh or Washington or like a team that doesn't have a lot of good prospects, but for Columbus, yeah, they can afford to trade a first round pick. Um, so like, it's still like bad, you know, it's, it's not like necessary. Like I'm sure whoever the Flyers pick at 22 overall is, is going to be someone decent, but like they have a pretty good 
prospect pool that they can kind of make up for it. They also have James Malatesta, who had yep. himself one heck of a playoff yeah, they have a lot of good uh, for the Quebec Ramparts, which we'll talk about later. So, yeah, yeah you know, I'll, I'll cut him a bit of slack. Their, yeah. their prospect pool has some, oh, yeah, has some yeah. pretty underrated talent there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, sorry. Go, um, now, now go on to the Kings. <laughs> so now you have a free agent in Corpusel. You have Phoenix Copley. Um, you aren't handcuffed by your goaltending anymore you can go out there and get a legit starting goaltender with that cap space even though you used a good chunk of that cap space to extend Gabrikov um, apparently Gabrikov is hoping to potentially uh, seek a bigger long term contract in two years when the cap's higher I believe that's uh, the rhetoric behind the two year extension however why the Kings added a no move for both years on top of that uh that's kind of risky. Not sure what I think about that. But he's still relatively young, and if he performs, I'm sure they're happy with paying close to $6 million for two years of Gavrikov. Um, so they cleared out cap space. Um, I think we mentioned earlier that Victor Arvidsson could be a name that gets moved. Uh, there are rumblings about a month back that he could be a guy that gets shopped around with a year left on his deal, in which case that saves up more cap space for the Kings to do something bigger. I think they're going to go big game hunting. I don't know who, but I think they're going to be up to something this year. Last year they got Fiala. This year I think they're going to strike again. In terms of the Flyers, I think Peterson's rival signals Hart's exit. I like the fact that they got a first in two seconds. I think that's going to be the huge piece of this trade. If Helga Grants turns into something fantastic, but similar to the Eric Carlson trade, it's those two futures that you really need to hit on, and that's going to come down to the Flyers scouting staff and their player development. So um, I think it's going to be those future picks that uh, – are ultimately going to determine uh, the value of this trade uh, for Philly. In the short term, I think they got some some pieces that, you know, maybe they could move around a later day at the trade deadline or whatever else. Um, but it's pretty clear that the Flyers aren't going to be winning anytime soon. And uh, I applaud Danny Briere for making, yeah. at the very least, a very creative trade here. Yeah, I... Um... Yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of already mentioned what I thought about the trade, but yeah, I, I am kind of curious now what the Flyers do, because I, I do wonder if they are going to start to trade Carter Hart. Um, it, like, I like originally I kind of didn't see it, but I'm like, I kind of talked myself into it, so I, I am curious to see if they can get a, a lot for him or not, but yeah, we'll see. Um, okay. Um, in terms of, uh, okay, so yeah, we, we didn't mention the other stuff, the other trade that Columbus made, um, and that was that they acquired Damon Severson, um, and then, well, what, what actually happened was the Devils signed him, uh, to an eight-year contract worth six point. Eight million, I think. Hold on, I I had it up here. Six point two five. Six point two five. Yeah. Uh, but it's the conditions in particular yeah. that make you go, oh, why? Yeah, exactly. Um, and um, yeah, six point two five. Um, and then uh, yeah, so they tra- uh, and then they trade. Uh, the Devils do trade him to uh, uh, to Columbus, and the Devils get a twenty twenty three. Third round pick. Why is that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah right. I, I forgot that's uh, 
this year. Um, a third round pick from Calgary. Um, so that's all they got there. Uh, yeah, this one's another strange one because, like, you know, I could say the same thing from the Provorov deal for for uh, Severson, and even more so, it doesn't make a ton of sense either. Uh, just well, not only just because of that contract, um, he's not worth it, but the fact that they have Wierenski, who should be back by then. Maybe Wierenski is not as healthy as we thought. Maybe that's why they're doing this. Um, but like, even still, it's like. David Yerchek was like, like looked like a pro player in the AHL this year. Uh, he's an 18-year-old player playing in the AHL, and he was one of the best defensemen in the league. Um, kind of like a Sergei Bobrovsky, Spencer Knight situation, wouldn't you yeah. say? Fair, fair, but like even, but like what happened with there was that they drafted, they they signed Bobrovsky um, like a week before they drafted Spencer Knight. So, like, that part, like, you could kind of make some sense there, but it's like, they know what they have. Week after, but yeah, I, I get yeah. your point, yeah, which makes even worse sense. And and also, it's just like, like, even still, like, they drafted Ye- David Yerchek to help Wierenski when Yerchek is, is ready. Um, and, um, you know, it's, and like, for defensemen, it's not like a goaltending situation as well, because, like, you could have more than one good defenseman. You, you don't, you know, but, like, the fact that when you add Provorov, when you add Severson, and then you have, you already have uh, Wierenski, and, like, yeah, sure, you, you don't know if David Yerchuk is going to be good or not, but, um, but it seems like he might be, like, a steal um, of the, of the draft, um, if, if everything pans out, of course. Um, and you never know with prospects, um, so so there's that. But um, yeah, I'm just I'm just looking at David Yerchek's numbers um, here. Yeah, so he had okay. So he he's a defenseman. He had 38 points in 55 games for the Cleveland Monsters this year. That's um, pretty freaking good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and he's like 19 years old. So um, yeah, so it like that that part doesn't make. Like, you know, just the fact that, like, yeah, like, if, you know, you do hope that your check is going to be pretty good, like, of course, like, the AHL, like, just because you're phenomenal in the AHL, that doesn't mean that you're going to be phenomenal in the NHL either, of course, uh, but, like, the fact that, like, like, if, if you just forget about David Yerchek for a second, you also have Zach Wierenski, um, ooh, like, yeah, I guess there, you know, whenever a player comes back from a long-term injury like that, you don't know how good he's going to be. You also have... You also have Erica Branson and Andrew Peak, by the way. Yeah, yeah, that's true, too. And yeah, that, that's and a bad Branson deal, too. And Branson, who signed last offseason to a 4 by yeah. 4 Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, so you have that, and then, like, you add Provorov, you add Severson, and, like... Like Provorov has those off the ice issues. You wonder what what's going to happen there, and then Severson, like yeah, he's he's an okay defenseman. He doesn't like uh, he. I know he had a bad first start because I had him on my fantasy team early on and I had to drop him, um, and then uh, and then he got going as soon as I dropped him. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, he had thirty three points in eighty one games. Um, you know, like, he is a decent puck-moving defenseman, 
But, like, the Devils could afford to lose him because they have Dougie Hamilton. They have Luke Hughes in the mix. They have um, Simon Nemec. They have their own defensive things to worry about, too. So, it's like, I don't know. Um, it, it, like, the Damon Severson part, I'm not necessarily sure I get it. But you did bring up a good point, though, is that, like, Provorov wasn't the same when they added a shutdown defenseman. But I don't consider Severson a shutdown defenseman. Um, like, he's more of an offensive defenseman to me. Um, like, yeah, he has decent possessive numbers, and, like, he's he's not, like, terrible or anything. But, um, but yeah, I, I see him more as, like, a puck-moving, Severson as a puck-moving guy. Um, so I'm not necessarily sure if they got Severson because they feel like Provorov needs a defensive guy like a defensive defenseman and I wouldn't consider Severson a defensive defenseman uh, well uh, so on the on the Severson part uh, taking a look at uh, his numbers um, last this past year he played 121 per game on the power play and I think a big part of that is because Dougie Hamilton probably ate up a lot of power play minutes this year uh, because uh, unlike the previous year where he averaged 220, David Severson did, uh, Dougie Hamilton was injured for a good chunk of that season. And that's also part of the reason why I think his defensive time on ice went down. They also had John Marino to kind of eat up some of those minutes too. So their defense was more well-rounded uh, this season compared to last, averaging yeah. 23.35 the year prior to 1957 this year. And even then, he still put up 32 points, which is not a bad, you know, production for probably a second-pairing offensive defenseman there. Um, so I, I, I think there's definitely um, there, there's definitely potential for him to deliver. But the risk that Columbus is taking is that they have given up a lot of money and a lot of term to this guy and really handcuffed themselves if it goes bad. Here is a quick little breakdown of uh, Damon Severson's contract. Wanna first know, four but... years, and the two, first two years, he's getting paid $8 million, then year three, 7.5, year four, 6.1. Full no trade for all four of those first four years. And then you get to the final four years, where it's a modified no trade clause. The cap it is 5.1 across the board, uh, variations in signing bonuses, but the total salary is 5.1 million for each of the final four years. In uh, 20 in the 2027-28 season, he has a 20 team no trade list, and then for the final three years, he has a 12 team no trade. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. That's that's a lot of commitment to a guy that hasn't played a game for you. Um, and for the yeah. Devils to get a third-round pick and cap space to potentially keep Brat, potentially keep uh, Timo Meyer in the fold, and I think this also signals uh, that Luke Hughes is probably going to be uh, an NHL regular for yeah. them next year on top of the likes of John Marino and Jonas Siegenthaler and Dougie Hamilton. Yep. So I think that signals a lot of promising things for the Devils here as well, which I don't yeah. think people should forget. Uh, the Devils profited big time from this trade. They just yeah. bought themselves a lot of money here. Yeah, I mean, we know why the Devils did this. What is funny is is that the Devils like make this contract 
and it's like a bad contract. It's not like the the Columbus Blue Jackets were ne- negotiating with uh, with Severson here. So like like they like they signed him knowing that they were about to trade him too. So it, it is kind of funny from that standpoint. But yeah, no, well, I, I would imagine they would have negotiated with Columbus because if they're getting the player, they dictate. Okay, yeah, I'm fine with these terms. Sure. True. True. It's just it's just funny because it's like. I think this was the second time that this has happened where it's a literal sign and trade. Like um, you were telling yeah, me, yeah, it never happened before. Matthew yeah. Kachuk last year, yeah, and now Kuchuk, Severson. Yeah. Uh, it it did work out for saying, Matthew Kachuk, though. But yeah, <laughs> it goes without saying. Kekalainen is losing his job. If yeah. these, if bring in yeah. Babcock, bring in Brovrov, bring in Severson, if all three or even one of those three blows up in his face, yeah. uh, he's as good as gone. Now. Well, here's the thing. I feel like he's not done. Um, I think Yeah, he, you're not wrong. He's probably not done. Because, uh, the, like, the offseason hasn't even officially started, for one. And secondly, it's like, uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think this is, like, definitely a desperate move. Maybe it's something where, like, the owners of Columbus are just like, all right, we need to make the playoffs right now. And Kekalainen's like... Okay, let me um, let me make some things, but maybe it's one of those things where like Johnny Gaudreau signed, and they didn't expect that to happen, and yeah. and then they're like, oh, I think we that's actually part of it is to yeah. appease Gaudreau and yeah. to make it seem like they're but adding these pieces. To the win reason now. why I feel like they're not done yet is because their their glaring issue is their center situation, and not to take anything away from Boone Jenner or like Jack Roslevic. Um, and maybe um, Cole Sillinger can fit that role and be a 1C for, for them. But, it, but like, or maybe uh, Leo Carlson, who's also, who's the guy that they're probably going to draft. He could be the guy for them, too, uh, right away. Um, and, you know, be that center for Goudreau and Line. But, um, but that's really what they need. And maybe they go out and get a center. Maybe it is... Whoa! I was about to suggest that maybe they go and and get Pierre Luc Dubois, but then I was like, wait a second, he he doesn't like Columbus. Um, but um, there's no shot he goes to Columbus, even right. if Torts isn't there. He's going to have to yeah, deal yeah. with Babcock now. Yeah, I know, I know. But it would be kind of funny if if that's what happens. It but, should also be noteworthy that yep. uh, Columbus has uh, next off season Roslovic yep. and. Eric Robinson as UFAs, but they also have a bunch of young yeah. guys uh, with expiring entry levels, including right. Kent Johnson and Cole Sillinger. Okay, I actually I have two ideas now. Um, one because we're well, we're about to talk about the Winnipeg Jets a little in a little bit, but uh, maybe Mark Shifley becomes available, so maybe they go out and get Mark Shifley, or um, they could go out and get Kevin Hayes. We just talked about Kevin Hayes. Uh, maybe they the Flyers can retain some of that, and um, maybe it's not a three three way trade. It's like uh, just a two way trade or something like that. Man, but, the more I think about it, I'm just like, man, Philly and Columbus trade a lot with each yeah, other, and they're in the same There's division too. Of- deal back in the day. Yeah. There was the Cam Atkinson one for True. one, and uh, and now the Provorov deal. Yeah, well, well, I forget. I think that proper that Bobrovsky trade. I think that was that was before they were in the same division, right? Um, me maybe just before. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it is. It is funny now. Also, it's funny that um, Provorov was drafted in twenty fifteen. He was the seventh overall pick. 
The eighth overall pick that year was Zach Lorinsky. So, um, just, just should also be noted, by the way, before we move on to the next topic. Yeah. Apparently, Mike Babcock, uh, when the Leafs drafted Marner, was pretty high in Provorov. So uh, the fact that oh, yeah, uh, Columbus is making this trade before the Babcock news is officially signed, well, oh, yeah, what does that tell you? Well, it is funny given what happened with Marner and Babcock supposedly. So, so that's yeah, <laughs> that is funny. Um, we didn't mention the uh, just before we go to other things. Uh, if, uh, we briefly mentioned it, but I'll we'll spend some attention on it here. Uh, that. Um, uh, where is this? Oh, yeah. Uh, Vladislav Gavrikov uh, also signs with the Kings for a two-year deal, 5.875. This is another one kind of like Severson where it's like, I don't really get it. Um, like, yeah, he was decent for the uh, the Kings. Um, he's more of a shutdown defenseman for them anyways, but he's not that good. I don't think he's worth, like, I, I guess it's like, it's fine that it's like a two-year deal, but like five point yeah. eight million, that doesn't make sense to me. Plus, it's like and and a full no move as well. Yeah, that, yeah. why? <laughs> right, right. That that too. Also, it's like the the Kings have. I mean, it, Drew Doughty isn't who he once was, but uh, he's still he's still decent. But yeah, he's making eleven million for four more years. Um, Sean Dursey is pretty underrated. Um, he's making one million. You have uh, Brant Clark in the system. You have Jordan Spence in the system, who should be, like, both of them should be ready um, in the NHL, like, maybe this this season, uh, this coming season. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I, I am, I don't know why they, they uh, signed Gavrikov for another deal like that when, like, you have those two good defensive prospects coming up in the system pretty soon, so, I don't know. And it's, like, also, it's, like, you have Drew Doughty uh, for a long term for $11 million, and it's, like, you're, you still have, like, um, I guess, I mean, Gabe Lardy, I guess, is the only free agent they really need to sign, and maybe they hold on to Corpusalo, but maybe, I probably not, I feel like Corpusalo is going to get a lot of money uh, somewhere else. But, yeah, so I don't, I don't know exactly what... Um, what happens there, but we'll see. Um, and then, um, okay, let's move on though. Um, the uh, speaking of, like, I mean, this is this might be the when we go back, like, uh, or go into the future, like two years from now, we're gonna be like, that was actually the contract that uh, was the nicest contract, because uh, uh, I'm talking about uh, Cole Caulfield. He resigns with the uh, the Montreal Canadiens. Um, oh, I had the details just here, and then I lost it. Um, but now I'll get it back pretty soon. Just give me one second. Um, it's a seven point eight five per season times eight years. So he's getting paid that till he's thirty years old. Yep, eight years, seven point eight five million. Um, yeah, this one's. I mean, I, I guess I can, obviously I get why Montreal does this, um, because you're, you're locking him up. It's still a lot of money, of course. I guess the thing that you, you think about if you're Cole Caulfield is the fact that, like, the Canadians, like, the cap's going to go up. It may not be this season, it may not even be, 
in two years, but it's going to go up uh, pretty soon. And um, and pretty soon he's going to like the reason why we think this might be a, a sweet deal is that the fact that he's going to like you know he he had a he's had a pretty good like career so far. It's like yeah he is injured a lot of the time, but um, but for the most part he's when he was healthy. He's he's been producing, especially for someone who is so short, um, because that's that that was always has been the knock on him. But the fact that um, let me just look here, he had why can't I find his stats? Um, I'm just like oh here he had 26 uh, goals in 46 games yeah, this year, 30 36 points, yeah. So like uh, yeah, he only played 46 games, so half the year basically. Um, but like yeah just the fact that he had 26 goals and 46 points uh 46 games um that's that's pretty good um or 36 points in 46 games even at that point it's like oh like this guy like even if he he had that same pace um in a full season that's worth more than 7.8 million right now um, so yeah, he he. We might look at this like a couple of years down the line and be like, all right, Cole Caulfield, he should be getting paid a lot, lot more than he um, he sh- uh, he was be- he is currently being paid. Um, so so yeah, this is a very good deal for Montreal Canadiens, and it's unfortunate for me because I I do I I don't like the Montreal Canadiens, and but this was a smart contract for them. Yeah, well, I mean, similar to what the Devils did with Jack Hughes and similar to what the Ottawa Senators uh, did with Tim Stutzla before the season started, they are banking on long-term value when they sign this deal. Uh, he is not worth $7.85 million today, but easily within the next few years, you're going to see why. I mean, I, I think could, part of the you reason could argue why that he's he, not worth... You could argue that he is worth seven point eight today, Um but it's like I guess there is injury concerns, so that that might be the only thing. But I would say there's a slight risk today. Yep. Um, Fair. Just based on the fact that you know he hasn't like while he's had he you know a, a couple season of yet. seasons where he's been you know on pace for like thirty to forty goals, he hasn't yeah, actually done so it. Fair. Yeah, like twenty six goals in forty six games. That's his best season today. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. I guess you know his rookie year, he really got going in the second half. Yep, he did. That's true too, and he might have some yep. injury history, but I don't know. I feel like he has proven that he he's going to be pretty good. But yeah, I, that, I guess, that being said, I, though, the, the underlying there. numbers are also yep. pretty good. Like he averaged three sixteen on the power play. He yep. averaged eighteen oh three in all situations. Um, had 26 goals, only seven of them were on the power play, so he was still pretty good at scoring at even strength. And his shooting percentage was easily the best of his career. It was 13.3 in 10 games as a rookie. Uh, Then it was 12.2, not helped by Dominic Ducharme, obviously. And then this year it was 16.5%. So, you know, already looking pretty, pretty handsome there. And... You're, you're going to look at a consistent 40-goal score within a year or two. Um, it took around that time for Jack Hughes to really flourish into that role. And look at him this year. He's probably going to get MVP votes. Hmm. Not to say Cole Caulfield is going to get MVP votes currently, but as this team starts to get better 
as they start to shed some of those older contracts and get a little bit younger and the youth movement starts to take shape, you're going to see a highly improved Habs team within the next four to five years. And at that point, you're really going to see Cole Caulfield at his best and maybe among one of the best goal scorers in the league. So, yeah, long term, this is going to be a freaking bargain. And for the Ottawa Senators, I absolutely hate it because uh, they're going to have to face him a couple of times a year. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so these are we, – we do have to cover the – uh, the Stanley Cup Finals that's happening, but there was a couple of other stories that happened that we did want to briefly mention. Uh, so here it goes. Here uh, we kind of teased it um, at the beginning, or I had mentioned this as well. Uh, that uh, well, first off, Pierre Luc Dubois he wants out of Winnipeg. He's officially requested a trade. Uh, he is an RFA, so there's that. I think you were telling me that like because like the the. The worst kept secret in the NHL is that uh, he wants to go to Montreal, but it seems like you were telling me that th- that might not happen. He has other teams on that list that he wants to go to. Yeah, may- maybe not like, you know, um, it's not like a Montreal or bust kind of thing. Right. But uh, in terms of, you know, long term, uh, it could be... It could be a scenario where Montreal is the only place he would sign long-term. Just taking a look at uh, the Athletics uh, trade piece, uh, mentions out of potential destinations, hey, we talked about him earlier, the LA Kings. Yep. Uh, Man, having him as good depth beyond Kopitar, like, God. Uh, Obviously mentions Montreal. Colorado is another team, which is pretty interesting there. Hey, your Boston Bruins were were on that mention. The New York Rangers were also I would stick uh, it to Montreal, which would be pretty nasty. But I also heard somewhere that Minnesota, and that would be an interesting one because not only is it Winnipeg's division rival, but the rhetoric has always been, hey, uh, Kirill Kaprizov needs a legit center. Yeah, and not to knock any of the centers that are on Minnesota, and they have a good young one in Joel Eriksson Ek. But, I mean, like, we're talking, like, established number one centers right, with the right. resume of a number one center or quality number two center at worst. And center depth is something that the Jets, or, or that the Minnesota Wild, rather, have been uh, lacking for a little bit and will probably still be lacking because of the Suter and Parise buyouts. So if this is one of those things where you only are going to get him for a year and uh, it might be Marc-Andre Fleury's last dance in the NHL, and you have all this talent in front of you, maybe Minnesota's just going to be like, yeah, you know what, screw it. We'll take a flyer on him for a year, and we'll uh, we'll shoot our shot in the offseason and see what happens. Uh, so in terms of like a one-year, uh, a one-year shop for, for Dubois, Minnesota, to me, makes more sense than people think. Yeah, yeah, I um, yeah. Now I'm gonna like slowly talk myself into Pierre Luc Dubois. I mean, it's, it's, just imagine him with Kaprizov, dude. Like yeah. he's gonna shred it. Yeah, yeah, that, that that could make sense too. But yeah, no, I and now I'm just like envisioning like, oh, like Bergeron's gonna retire, no big deal. Dubois in Boston, like especially because like 
the rumor was that he was going to go to Montreal, it would be like a Wait, yeah, so in the face. Yeah, so you go to your arch rival instead. Yeah. That yeah. would be like him going to the Leafs as well. It would have the right. same effect. It's like, oh, okay, like, uh, especially because he's a French-Canadian as well as Bergeron, so it's like, okay, a French-Canadian leaves, and we get another French-Canadian. The modern-day hockey <laughs> that's what Pierre-Luc Dubois. Because yeah, that's what Montreal loves is French-Canadians, and we got, like, two of them. Uh, one of the greatest... <laughs> French Canadians of all time, and uh, I mean Pierre Luc Dubois it might not be, but uh, he, you know he's he's decent, of course. But uh, the risk with Pierre Luc Dubois though is like, man, you yeah. get this reputation at such a young age. This is the second time yep. where he's kind of piecing out on a team. One time he did it mid game, Columbus, Fair. yeah, uh, and another time he's doing it in the off season before he's even eligible to hit the open market a year before then, yeah, and it's. Like at that point, I wonder if that scares some teams off. It's just like, man, yeah, uh, we don't want to give up all that assets for that to happen to us. True, but in defense of that, like he, yeah, he did want out in Columbus, but one, like you know, that's well, for reasons, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I could understand the Columbus yeah, thing, yeah, 100%. one because like Torts like basically yeah. uh, humiliated him. <laughs> um, so there's that. Also, it's like, yeah, like. When you're that young, he's still 24 years old, but, like, you know, when you're that young still, like, you know, you don't really have a control on where you go to, um, when, like, in a situation like that. So it's, like, it was a unique situation because Patrick Laine also wanted out in Winnipeg, so it's, like, okay, yeah, these guys could be, like, it could work, and Winnipeg's, like, yeah, we would, we want Dubois, and Columbus is, like, yeah, we would rather have Laine, so they kind of like exchanged and it just worked out that way but um so i, I don't cool from uh, the score by the way yeah. a list carolina and uh detroit as teams that could maybe yeah. make a play for dubois which are again are quality fits especially for carolina hmm. when you consider that aho is entering a contract here yeah. and a lot of their forwards are pending ufas it could be again similar to Minnesota. It's just like, eh, screw it. Why not? You yep. know, we'll see what happens for one year. If if we're winning enough and he wants to stay, then great. But mm. you know, it's it's you know, if, I, <laughs> if you if you know he's going to be there for a year, it probably won't take much to yep. trade him. And I would argue, if you're the Jets at this point, maybe just do the trade with Montreal if it's becoming clear that a long term extension is only possible with Montreal. Because if you're Winnipeg, as I yep. mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I don't think they're a free agency recruiting team. You need to draft, you need to develop, and yep. you need to find a way to keep your own players. And restocking those cupboards when, you know, the core is what they are. They're aging and it's time to trade away some pieces yep. or guys have had it enough in Winnipeg. You need as much return value as you can, and you're not going to get that for a one-year player. You need to probably... Uh, make that move with a contract extension attached to it to get the best value for Pierre-Luc Dubois. Maybe. And if that's the only chance it happens in Montreal, then deal with Montreal. Like, get as much return as you can. You can't risk true, it. True, true. Yeah. I mean, that is if Pierre-Luc Dubois will only sign in Montreal, of course. But Yeah. Assuming. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then in other news on that same note, uh, Connor Hellebuck has also told, like, according to The Athletic, he also wants out and he's not going to play in uh, Winnipeg next, uh, in, you know, next season. 
That's um, even more damning. The fact yeah. that he's just like, I'm on a new team next fall. It's like, wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to put words into his mouth, but that was basically how it was. Um, and I don't have the athletic subscription anymore, but uh, that's how it's been portrayed at the very least. And yeah, he does have one more year left. He is 30 years old. Uh, remember a couple, I think this was last episode, I had mentioned how, like, more teams, I wonder if more players are going to be, like, a, pull a Matthew Kachuk or a Jack Eichel and just openly say how they want to, they want out on their team. Well, enter Connor Hellebuck, because this is the guy. He also fits the bill. He's also, like, he's done more uh, than uh, Jack Eichel did in Buffalo. He's done more than when Matty Kachuk was in Calgary as well. So, like, he's even more sought after, um, especially because, like, the goalie market that we've been talking about in free agency, like, the best goalie out there is probably Corpusalo, although, I don't know, Eden Hill has been proving his case that he's he's worth... Um, he could be yeah. probably, like, the biggest bargain yeah. of the offseason. I can Who? totally Aiden see Hill? him becoming that. Eden Hill? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely possible. Um, so, um, yeah, and also, like, Connor Hellebuck's 30 years old, and if, like, especially if Pierre-Luc Dubois wants out, it seems like Winnipeg's going to start rebuilding. It's like, yeah, I, I don't blame him for wanting out. Um, of course, the fact that, like, he is making $6.1 million, uh for one more year left, so that's just something that, like, I, I, I don't know how much he can actually be like, I'm not playing this year until I get traded. Uh, I don't know how much pull he can actually do because he's, you know, it's not like a Jack Eichel situation where he could say that, like, oh, I have a, I need a surgery and Winnipeg's not allowing me to do that. So I don't know how much pull he can actually have. But at the same time, he's, he's won a Vezina before. Uh, he's been nominated uh, four other, uh, four, three other times as well. He's been one of the best goaltenders in the league. He's been carrying the Winnipeg Jets on his back, uh, you can mention, um, as well. Um, and, like, you know, the Winnipeg defense isn't that good since Dustin Bufflin left and Jacob Truba. Um, and, yeah, he's been kind of carrying this team, um, and he's been incredible. So there, there is a... I, I, I am curious what Winnipeg does now. Um, this might be the the biggest story, um, or like one of the things that I'm looking the most forward to um, in the off season is where where Connor Hellebuck's going to be. Um, so I'm just yeah. uh, going to spitball some teams. Um, let's start with the Detroit Red Wings because Connor Hellebuck is a Michigan guy. Yep, that's fair. Similar to Alex Bring, what is it with uh, RFAs or players wanting out and their connection to Michigan? Yeah, yeah. Detroit's supposedly, in, that, that's something that player. we didn't even mention that uh, Debring Cat supposedly might want out. Yeah, well, that, that situation is complicated in itself. Yeah. I'm not touching that yet. <laughs> according, Well, this is according to Friedman, so uh, yeah, he is, well, he's a good source. Yeah, once we get to the ownership stuff out of the way, then we'll talk. Anyway, okay. uh, so Detroit's obviously won Buffalo. In, it's uh, okay. You're in the denial Buffalo. stage right now. It's fine. <laughs> Yeah, denial and the acceptance will come, you know, within a couple weeks as it did when they sold off everyone. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, Buffalo, watch out for Buffalo. Uh, oh, yeah, that's good Said it all year. Uh, they're going to be up to stuff in the offseason. Mm-hmm. They're going to weaponize that cap space. This is one of the ways I think they'll do it. Um, I think there's a chance maybe Ottawa could be a landing spot for Hellebuck. Maybe. Yeah. 
Um, I think Carolina could also be a good, yeah. you know, another one-year option there. New Jersey, 100% could see New Jersey getting involved in that. Um, you never know with Kyle Dubas and the Penguins. Stranger things have happened, but yeah. maybe Pittsburgh. Uh, but I would put them low, low, low on the list there. Yeah, that would be um, I think St. Louis would be wise to move away from Jordan Bennington. If they do that, I think they're in line for Hollywood there. It would be in the same division, though. Don't care. Okay. Don't care. Get the most value you can win a Yeah, I guess, them. but I, I feel like there is something to, like... Yeah, I guess, you, yeah, good point. Okay, never mind. And then uh, the only team in the Pacific that makes sense to me, as I mentioned, the Kings. Yep. So you got a handful of teams right there that it, it makes logical sense for for Hellebuck right there sure, just sure. in terms of a win now market and they have a vacant spot available to yeah. go out and get them Carolina was the one that may like jumped out of me the most uh, but maybe New Jersey is also the one that could yeah New it. Jersey after the playoffs that they had where yeah. goaltending was clearly the thing holding them back yeah I think they need Hellebuck more than any other team in the league right now. Yep. Uh, they, Car- they need they need that guy in net. Carolina makes sense too, but um, yeah, those were like the two because those were the you could make a case that both Carolina and New Jersey got at, eliminated because of the goaltending situation. So um, so yeah, if they add Hellebuck, then it's like all right, yeah, maybe. maybe LA, yeah, New Jersey, Buffalo, and maybe Detroit are probably. Uh, the markets, if I'm Winnipeg, that I'm probably targeting the yeah, most because LA's a good one too, yeah. you could probably get the biggest futures return there. Like their prospect pools are nuts. LA would be a good replacement for Jonathan Quick because he had a similar career path to Jonathan Quick too. So yeah, exactly. Uh, like they both went to hockey East schools and they both uh, <laughs> they both were incredible early on in their season. Uh, so there's there's something to that too. Um, Okay, um, actually, that is a good segue because we were going to talk about something else, but uh, Cro- uh, Greg Cronin um, is the new coach for the Anaheim Ducks. Um, in case you haven't heard of him, you um, that's totally understandable because he's a 60-year-old coach. He's been, However, he's been coaching since 1987. That's longer than I've been alive. Um, so uh, he, w- he went to Colby College which is in Maine, um, for those people who um, are in Canada and don't know what Colby College is. Um, he was the assistant coach for Colby from 1987 to 1988. He also was the assistant coach for Maine from 1988 to 1990. Um, then he was the assistant coach for Colorado College for three years in 1990 to 1993. That was when me and Steve were born, around when I think you're 92, is that right? I was born in 93. 93, okay. I was born in 91, so I I was correct. Um, Then he was the assistant coach for Maine. Um, He goes back to Maine being the assistant coach in 93. Coach Paul Korea, by the way, just saying. Yep, Uh, good call there. Uh, And then he was the coach for Maine from 95 to 96. Then he actually, this is a fun fact, he actually co-founded the USNTDP. Um, he was assistant coach there for the under-18s um, in 97 to 98. Uh, then he was the then he moves on to the pros, uh, where he becomes the assistant coach for the Islanders for five years in 98 to 2003. Uh, then he becomes the uh, coach for the Bridgetown 
support Sound Tigers uh, for two years in 2003 to 2005. Um, I believe that's the AHL team for the Islanders. Then he yeah, at the time, yes. Yep. Uh, then he uh, coached, this is his longest tenured position here. Um, in 2005 to 2011, he was the coach for Northeastern. They were decent around that time. Uh, then he goes to the pros, and he was the assistant coach for Toronto Maple Leafs uh, from 2011 to 2014. Uh, then he was the assistant coach for the Islanders from uh, 2014 to 2018. And then you know, we now get to present day where he becomes the coach for the Colorado Eagles, which is the AHL affiliate of the Avalanche. Uh, from 2018 to 2023. Supposedly, everyone on the Colorado Eagles love him. He's been the coach there forever, um, or for five years at least, and now he gets his turn as a 60-year-old for the Anaheim Ducks. Um, so I am, I'm kind of curious to see where this goes, especially for the Anaheim Ducks team, because they, you know, they could have gotten Gerard Gallant, they could have gotten Bruce Boudreau, they, again, they could have gotten, like, some retread or something like that, but I like the fact that one, they got a guy who's clearly experienced about like being in the AHL, and this is a guy that they can start to like. You know, he knows how to develop young players at the very least. He's been an assistant coach um, in college and in the AHL, and he's been an assistant coach in the NHL as well. So, like, he has a lot of experience from that standpoint too. Um, he's a fellow uh, Massachusetts person. Uh, so there's that. Also, like, the fact that he, like, co-founded the USNTVP. Uh, they have Trevor Zegris in the system. They have Sam Colangelo in the system. Uh, they have a few other USNTDP-developed guys in their system as well. So there may be something to that where it's like, oh, they have a lot of Americans as well So on their team. So, yeah, this could this could be a nice, uh, a nice uh, pick here. But... You know, like this could fail, but like I like when teams just draft total, like guys who uh, who've never coached in an NHL before. It's like it's a true wild card, and this could be a good co- uh, good team for him because they are so young. Yeah, and I think when you when you look at um, you know the coaching retreads, yeah. I suppose you could go and you know the Mike yeah. Babcocks and the Gerard Lance of the world. Right. But that doesn't even make those those coaches don't even make sense for the Anaheim Ducks. So yeah, and I think after the year that they've had, where it was just miserable going to the right. ring every single day, you need to get their confidence up. And Greg Cronin was a big preacher on that uh, when he was talking to the team. Um, or, or talking to the media rather and uh, he, he feels that the relationship building between the players is critical and you can be hard on a player but you also have to be compassionate and you, you can't and you lose your voice in the room otherwise and um, I, I, I think in terms of creativity that swagger that's something that the Ducks had two years ago that I think they were lacking uh, at various points throughout the season like, <laughs> I, I was looking at the Anaheim Ducks schedule. I, I, I kid, I kid you not. Uh, it's, it's, it's hilarious how how bad they were. Like, obviously, you you take a look at at their their records and all that, and and you know how bad it is. Um, they had twenty three wins all year. I think they didn't have a single win in April. And their last home win, their last win period, 
was seven to four against Columbus. Ready for this? March seventeenth. Wow. Their last road win was a week before March tenth in Calgary when they won three to one, and their last non-Friday win was February twenty seventh against Chicago, a four two win. <laughs> yeah, and that that was the end of a three game win streak. So they did a lot of losing and a lot of the times where they beat a team, you know, they were teams that a lot of teams would probably mm-hmm. beat. And you know, even the team that beat him in the draft lottery because of course. Um they they finished with the best odds and somehow still lost. Anyway, um when when you look at the Anaheim Ducks in a nutshell, uh, there's a lot of potential there. There's a lot of youth there. And I think a, a guy like Greg Cronin, while he is old in years, I think he is able to make that connection and is that positive kind of old school coach that knows the game from how it was in the 90s and the 2000s and the 2010s to how it is today. And the ability to connect with those players and know what worked and what doesn't work now, um, I think is going to be huge, especially on a team that has been notoriously bad. And he also mentioned uh, a little bit of a lesson that he got from Mike Milbury. And when you hear that name, it's just like, oh boy, what's this? What's this now? I'm sure this advice was bad. Uh, but he brought he brought him in the doorway and said one time, if you're going to sugarcoat a message, then just get in your car and drive right back home. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter where you come from, how old you are. Players want to hear you care about them, that you're honest, and you're going to give them a positive message and a fair shot. Get into a player's soul, he would often say. Which, you know, yeah, that, I, I think that's instrumental in coaching. Like, that's that's all it is. And to have that positive experience in year one, first of all, like we've seen in markets like with Guy Boucher and the Ottawa Senators when they went on that run in 2017, or in a you know in a couple of other areas like Gerard Gallant is always a good first year coach. Pierre DeBoer is always a good first year coach. But as we've seen with a lot of other coaches, Patrick Waugh with the Colorado Avalanche, for example, is a perfect example. But then you get into the year two and the year three and the year four, and all of a sudden it's not looking so hot, and then they're out of a job. The Anaheim Ducks, I think, need a long-term voice to get this group back yep. on track. And Cronin could be that guy, an older John Cooper, Jared Bednar kind of guy. Yep. And uh, his background is very unique, I must say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of – I'll be interested to see how they, they work it out. Yeah. Um, okay, we, we – we did say that we were briefly gonna mention these things, and we we got we didn't briefly mention it. But lastly, we do want to mention that uh, the Quebec Ramparts, Patrick Waugh's team, um, won the Memorial Cup. You uh, were you've been uh, covering it more than I have, so uh, I'll let you take the floor on this. So I'll, de- I'll deliver the nuts and bolts like really, really quick. Uh, the Quebec Ramparts, they were in, uh, you know, some pretty tight series. Uh, they were going up against some pretty tough opponents. In the final four, they went up against a very talented guy, New Olympique team. They had a couple of one-goal games, a couple of overtime thrillers. But at the end of the day, they found a way to win. And when they needed the right bounce, the right play, they always seemed to find it. Same thing against the Halifax Mooseheads in the finals very very tough six game series 
Uh, but through it all, they managed to find a way. If they had to score two goals in like the final yep. 10 minutes to win the game, they do that. And uh, one of their big name performers, James Malatesta, who is a Columbus Blue Jackets prospect. See what I mean about yeah. underrated prospects there? Yep. Uh, he was a uh, fifth round pick in 2021, good God, by the Blue Jackets. Uh, he had 37 goals in 55 regular season games. Playoffs has come around. He has 14 goals in 18 games. Jeez. And then the Memorial Cup, he throws in a hat trick, scores another two for a total of five in four games. He was named the playoff MVP in the QMJHL. He was named the uh, Memorial Cup MVP in the Memorial Cup tournament as well, and is obviously a QMJHL and Memorial Cup champion. Again, the rhetoric, of course, is Patrick Waugh. There have been rumblings, hey, maybe he's ready for the NHL again, and um, maybe uh, the undeciding factor was recent championships. He won a Memorial Cup with Quebec, but that was back in 06. Uh, now he has a recent title to brag about, so uh, maybe maybe it's time. Maybe he's ready for another shot at the NHL. Who knows? Yeah, that'll be crazy. I don't know if I could take that. But like Bab, <laughs> like it's already enough that Babcock is coming back. But like yeah, Patrick Waugh as well. It's like that's I crazy. mean that one year was pretty good for Patrick Waugh. True, but true. the way the Colorado Avalanche looked in 2016-17, and the way they rebounded since. That Pat, since Patrick Waugh left the team over yeah. Alex Radulov, I think was the 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 thing the wedge between him and Sakic there, bringing mm-hmm. him in in free agency, uh, and the Avs deciding not to do that. Um, the fact that Colorado has been able to bounce back so quickly and win a Stanley Cup without him, um, I think that's probably the main reason why Patrick Waugh. Yep. Uh, among other things, hasn't gotten an NHL gig since he left Colorado. Yeah, yeah, fair. Um, I I think what what's crazy about this Quebec Ramparts team, um, from what from what I've been reading, is they only lost three times, and yep. one of those times was during the Memorial Cup, and the other time that was against Peterborough too. Yeah, yeah. And the other time, they lost twice to Halifax in the QMJHL Championship. They swept the other teams. Uh, yep. Granted, it's like, you know, they were the first place team in the QMJHL. That's incredible that, like, <laughs> like I, I mean, like, I'm sure they, obviously, they had a great season. But, like, just to be that clutch and just, like, dominate um, in the playoffs when it matters, it's, like, it's crazy. Um, so, so, kudos to them. Um, and then the last thing, oh wait, is that it? Um, yeah, that is it. Um, yeah. All right, so now we have, uh, so the Vegas Golden Knights, they are up in this series three to one. Um, there was, um, you know, I, I guess we could recap the last, the, the four games, because there have been four games since. I would think games two to four, because we already recapped yeah. game one. Oh, did we? It already happened before okay. when we recorded last, but. I thought we, I thought we, um, I thought. Game two was Monday in Vegas. For some reason, I thought we recapped, we didn't recap game one, but I guess maybe you're, you're right. Um, but yeah, I mean. There's not a ton to really... We talked about the save by Aiden Hill, so yeah. I think we did uh, cover it. Oh, yeah, that, that is right. Good point. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so game two wasn't... Um, there wasn't really a ton to talk about because it was uh, the Vegas Golden Knights were up 7-2, to two, and Florida didn't really 
do anything. Um, yeah, Magic and Chuck hit the showers early again. Yep, yep. Um, and there was a was this was the one where Matthew Chuck hits Jack Eichel and Eichel has to leave the game uh, momentarily. Um, and then, but it was seven to two. Uh, Jonathan Marchessault has two goals and one assist. Um, Brett Howden, um, he has a great first name. Uh, he has two goals as well. Um, Anton Lindell has been picking it up. He's he's uh, he's been pretty good uh, for the Florida Panthers, even though they aren't doing so well. Um, the, uh, and then in Game Three, um, this is uh, so Brandon Montour. He just had a kid, uh, like a day before, and he scores the first the first goal. Um, so that that's nice to see. Uh, then Mark Stone ties it up. Jonathan Marchessault so again, he uh, makes it 2-1. Um, and then, of course, Matty T, um, Matty TKO, as you've been calling him, Mr. Mouthguard, yeah. as I've been calling him, uh, he ties it up because, of course, he, he does. He took a hard hit from Colasar before yeah. that as well, and yeah. that's lead the game briefly uh, because yeah. the concussion spotter pulled him. Yep. Um, and then uh, Carter Verhage gets the OT winner there. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was weird because I I've been rooting for both the the star Americans on these teams, so I was convinced that Maddie Kachuk or Jack Eichel were going to get the goals. But yeah, I mean I'll take I'll take Carter Ragi as well. Um, and then we have um, go to Game Four, which just happened on Saturday. Uh, Chandler Stevenson starts the party with uh, a goal, and he gets another one um, in the second period. Um, and then uh, William Carlson uh, also scores in the second period before Florida gets something. Uh, Brandon Montour scores um, uh, towards the end of the second period. And then um, in the third period, you have Alex Barkov. And it's kind of been a little bit um, here and there. But, um, you know, you thought that maybe Florida could, could work their magic again like they did in Game 3. But... Turns out they just didn't have enough. Um, there was a, a skirmish towards the end, um, like uh, like Eden Hill gets knocked around, and then the Vegas Golden Knights are like, "No, you're not doing that to our goalie." Um, and um, and yeah, there's like a huge skirmish there. A lot of rats were flown onto the ice from the fans. Pietro yeah, Angelo. I, yeah. I hate that. I hate that garbage. Like, yeah. th- I think they were throwing bottles yeah. as well. I saw the feet, the odd ball or yeah, two yeah, being yeah. thrown on. It's like, yeah, th- it makes the league look bad. It makes your fan base yeah. look bad. Sure. It accomplishes nothing. Just cut, yeah. cut that out. What was also crazy though was that Piet. Pietrangelo, he was just penalized, um, like, a few moments For before. For puck over glass, yeah. Yeah, and then he joins in, so it's a little bit unfair, because then all of a sudden it's like a, like, all of these brawls, it's usually like a five-on-five five or whatever, uh, assuming the bench doesn't clear, but, like, this is, then it's unfair, because then Pietrangelo joins, and then it's, all of a sudden it's six-on-five, um, yeah, wouldn't that be a third yeah. man in type of thing as yeah, well? I wonder. You would think that he should on be the ice when right? it happened. Yeah, I know. So that that part, I'm I'm not sure what the ruling is. I I wonder if he's going to be penalized, but maybe it's just. Don't worry, the Department of Player Safety will get it wrong. They always do. <laughs> yeah, <sure. laughs> um, in terms of some off the ice stuff, there was uh, there was a, uh, a funny little tidbit here where uh, Charles Barkley. He was being interviewed. I think this was from Sportsnet. Uh, it definitely wasn't 
uh, TNT. It might have been TNT actually, but uh, but uh, this Sportsnet reporter like is interviewing Charles Barkley, and he tells us a story about how Jack Eichel, uh, or he introduced himself to Jack Eichel and saying like, "Hey, I'm a big fan of yours." And uh, Jack Eichel, he, he said that he, like, Jack Eichel did not know who Charles Barkley was, which um, he just, <laughs> like, cracked up. It was just kind of funny, because it's like, like, you know, it makes you wonder, because it's like, you would think that, like, Charles Barkley is so recognizable that everyone would know who you are, but it is just funny that, like, another famous celebrity has no idea who, who Charles Barkley is. Um, I'll cut him some slack because he was he was born in '97, um, so that was that was yeah. So the twilight of Charles Barkley's career yeah. was probably around that time when he was yeah. with the Rockets, I but, think. But at the same time, he's been like the face of TNT for yeah since he's retired. So it's like yeah, like everyone knows Chuck, everyone yeah. knows Shaq, everyone so, knows Chuck. So I, I would give him the benefit of the doubt, except for the fact that like he's might be the like even if you're not a basketball fan. It's like you probably know who Charles Barkley is. It's just so that part I I don't know, but it was. I didn't funny. realize this, but Charles Barkley's from Alabama. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, I knew that. He went to Auburn, um, which is in Alabama. So, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, spent the final four years with Houston. His last year was yep. ninety nine two thousand. So Jack Young was like pretty young then. Yep. So. Yeah. I, I don't. Know, I don't even know if he was watching Celtics games at that point. Yeah, yeah, I, I doubt it. But um, I mean I. I, I usually, I'm going to give Jack Eichel the benefit of the doubt just simply because we share the same birthday, um, but I, he was But it's the classic excuse to diss Charles Barkley, like, generally, day. I have no idea who you are. Yeah, yeah. Like, who are so, you? <laughs> so I thought that was a funny story, but um, let's let's go back to hockey here. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I know what you're going to say, uh, but... The last time the Florida Panthers were in this position, it was in the first round. Uh, they were down 3-1 yep. to one to Boston. Mm-hmm. Can Florida do it again? Um, I guess you could say there's a chance because um, there's a three-day stretch in between games up until, if necessary, game seven. Mm-hmm. Because... NHL doesn't want to mesh with the NBA yep. in terms of when their game airs. Also, I think uh, like if my because Miami's also involved, so maybe they don't want like yep. a Miami home game and a Florida home game at the same time. So the, the, that's also probably why they're doing that's that a good point. I didn't yep. think about that. And they're both like point. underdogs, so that's also probably why. But True. I don't know. Uh, I, so, I, I think that's how they usually have done it in the past. As yeah, well. no, like, no. Yeah. Regardless of who's playing, yeah, like yeah. the NHL, it's a losing battle. Yeah, it's yeah. a losing battle at the end of the day. Uh, so, in terms of uh, the schedule and how it shakes up, Game Five is Tuesday. Game Six wouldn't be until Friday if they needed it in in Florida mm-hmm. in Sunrise, and then Game Seven, if needed, would be on Monday, next Monday, June the nineteenth. So potentially the Stanley Cup might not be awarded until, you know, after next week's podcast, there's a chance of that happening. So that basically gives these teams enough time to rest, recharge, park the previous game. Uh, For Vegas, obviously, they have maximum three chances to secure their first championship. So they would probably like to get it done the first or second time and not risk losing it all in game seven. 
Uh, if you're the Florida Panthers, there's little room for error, and you need to win three straight, or yeah. your cup aspirations go bye-bye. The good news is they won their first game in Stanley Cup Finals history in their franchise existence, so I guess they did accomplish something. They, they won a Finals playoff game, so that's good. Um, as to whether or not they can win three in a row, I definitely think they have the preparation and time to do it, but what I don't think they're going to have is enough time on the clock to make it happen. And the thing is, like, Vegas has been right there with them. Like, both of the outside of game two game one was separated for the most part by a goal for the most part it was a 4-2 win for vegas and then you had of course the 3-2 overtime win for florida in game three and the 3-2 regulation win for vegas in game four so any one of those games could have gone either way and i think being down two nothing I think is enough of a comfort for Vegas where even if Florida uh, wins enough games to force a game seven, I don't think they take game seven. So I think at the end of the day, you're still going to see Vegas hoist that trophy. It's just a matter of when at the same time, because Florida has already come back from three, one down. If you're Vegas for the love of God, don't, don't put it past game five. Like, End it yeah. in game five, end it in your building. Uh, because there's this other stat that I stumbled across. Since 2010, the following teams have won the cup at home the 2012 LA Kings, the 2014 LA Kings, the 2015 Chicago Blackhawks, and the 2021 Tampa Bay Lightning. Every other team outside of those four since 2010 have had to go on the road and win the cup inside enemy territory, and they've successfully done so. So I fear that we'll probably need a game six, but I think at the end of the day, uh, Florida's going to run out of time and Vegas will be victorious. It's going to be close, but I think Vegas, they they have enough of a series lead to, to pull this off. Yeah, I... You know, I, I learned from the first round that you should ne- I should never count the Florida Panthers out or, or this version of this team out, but... At the same time, I'm like, this Vegas team is is doing pretty well. So, um, and they adapt just as well yeah. as Florida does. It's like it's like already like reverse sweeping like that um, is hard enough, um, but like you know doing it again like like a month later or two months later, it's like that's that's a lot to ask for. So so yeah, I. I think Vegas is going to win at least one of these games. If it, it might not be game five, but it could be it might be game six, I would venture. Um Okay, so in terms of Con Smith stuff, like I think we're both in agreement that Vegas will win, but if it's Florida, it's it's between Matthew Kachuk and Sergei Bobrovsky. Um I'd venture it's probably gonna be Matthew Kachuk. Um, if Florida does does pull it off again, uh, yeah. But because like you could make a case for Bobrovsky because he did basically single handedly beat both Toronto and Carolina, but uh, but Matthew Kachuk has been like their their energy guy uh, this entire playoffs, and I don't think they would. Um, you could make a case that they wouldn't win that Boston series without Matthew Kachuk. So 
I think um, the only way Bobrovsky may have a chance of winning the Conn Smythe yeah. is if he is like yeah. letter perfect for three games yeah. in a row. Yeah, so basically have a shutout for three consecutive games, basically. Or or like yeah. or like one goal against and then like two straight yeah, bagels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think, I, like, I would be, like, I think you could make the case, like, let's say Florida, like, this was a close series and Florida wins it, you could make a case, but, like, the fact that, like, he gave up seven goals in game two, um, it, it seems like he's fallen back to earth a little bit, um, even in, like, game three and game four, it's like, oh, okay, so maybe, maybe he isn't as good as what like he's just back to what we expected him in the regular season so um so yeah I mean I guess there is still a chance for him but um but yeah I I, I would venture that'll probably be Matthew Kachuk if, if Florida does win game seven but if Vegas wins um I guess there there's like three contenders um Jonathan Marjusso who uh just sir who just Tied Rupe Hints uh, for the most points in the playoffs. And, and I guess Matthew Kachuk as well for, for 24 points. I thought there was like a, there was a point where Leon Dreisaitl was the, the highest point getter and like he hasn't played in like since the <laughs> second round. Oh, oh, okay. He just, uh, so Leon Dreisaitl had 13 goals in 12 games and he had that, um, he had that spot for a while as the goal scorers, but Jonathan Marchessa just tied him with 13 goals here. Um, so it would be kind of funny though if like Leon Dreisaitl wins it, because <laughs> it's like, that's ridiculous. Um, even though he hasn't, he didn't even play in a conference final. Um, it would be kind of funny. Uh, but uh, yeah, so Jonathan Marchessa, uh, that would be your, your lead in point getter. That'd be kind of cool too, just the fact that like Florida, you know, he was spurned off of Florida and, and all yep. that stuff. Um, Jack Eichel would be the other one um, that people have been giving some buzz. He has 23 points in 21 games. Um, he didn't get it. Like, there was a there was a point where he got um, uh, he got hit in the neck with a puck. Um, I believe Peter Angelo shot it and it hit uh, Eichel in the neck um, in Game Four, um, and he was gone for like a whole second period. Um, but he didn't even get a point this uh, in game four, so um, he did come back and he did play, but I am curious if he's like, especially that neck, because there, there's that whole thing about the fact that he was um, not good, um, like, you know, the, the whole, like, he, he didn't want a uh, surgery on, he wanted a certain surgery for his neck, um, so it's kind of ironic that uh, um, his neck got injured. Uh, but he did end up playing again, but I don't know if he's 100% per se. Um, also, some notable guys to, to mention on the Vegas team. Uh, Mark Stone uh, with 21 points in 21 games um, in these playoffs. Chandler Stevenson, I did mention he had two goals in game four, but 19 points in 21 games, that's not bad. Um, I should also, yeah, I guess we can mention Florida guys as well. Carter Verhage, 17 points in 21 games, or 20 games. Uh, Ivan Barbashev, uh, 17 points in 21 games. William Carlson is another guy uh, with 16 points in 21 games. Um, and then um, and then I also want to mention my candidate for Conn Smythe. Um, I was teasing uh, St 
see because I didn't I wanted to I didn't want to spoil it for him on my pick, but I think he Yeah, he said, yeah, like, who's your dark horse pick? Yeah. I'm curious. Play it on me. My dark horse pick, Aiden Hill. Uh okay, yeah. That makes sense. Do you think I was gonna go with Jack Eichel? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean I do love Jack Eichel. I would love like I could still see it where Jack Eichel but Jack Eichel would the fact that he didn't score any points in game four, I feel like um I feel like it makes... He has like, a 934 yeah. save percentage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so Aiden Hill, 934 save percentage, a GAA of 2.11, uh, 10-4 and 0 in these 15 games. Remember in that Edmonton-Vegas preview, I you laughed at me because I had suggested that Aiden Hill was better than Jack Campbell. and um, No, yeah, Stuart so. Skinner. Okay, well, even still. Um, yeah, either or. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so I, I, I think it, it will probably go with Aiden Hill, but I, like, I, I wouldn't be upset if it was. It turns out it's March or so, or Eichel, or Mark Stone, or any of these Chandler Stevenson. But like, you know, like I guess like, like it could happen where, like, let's say Jonathan March or so gets like a hat trick or like, um, in this next game and wins the game for them. It's like, uh, yeah, obviously it's it's March or so. Um, so, so that could be the the pull, but I don't know. I, I I feel like these Conn Smythe awards are always for the guy with the best story. Um, however, you could say that for like March or so, Eichel and Eden Hill. But like the fact that like Eden Hill was the fourth best option in goal, and he just just turned into like another person, basically. Yeah. Um, in the playoffs, I, I think that's a great story as well. March or so, of course, as I mentioned, he uh, he got, you know, he was spurned by Florida, and then he, he was one of the original guys in the 2018 team. He stuck with them, and, you know, even with Vegas acquiring Mark Stone, acquiring Jack Eichel, acquiring Robin Leonard, acquiring Petrangelo, he still is, like, like, like one of their core players, so... That would be a cool story. And then, of course, Jack Eichel, just the fact that, like, you wanted out. He wanted the surgery of, of Buffalo. You wanted the surgery. And then he goes to a team that actually wanted him and needed him um, in Vegas. And then, he, you know, he turns his, his career around. And now it's like he, he's more successful in the playoffs. He's still more successful in the playoffs than Connor McDavid is, and even though you know uh, McDavid was drafted first overall and Eichel was drafted second overall, so it'd be kind of cool if, if Eichel wins it as well. But um, but yeah, I think my dark horse candidate would be Aiden Hill, but I wouldn't be opposed to any of the other options. I think Mike Kachuk is probably going to get it for Florida, unless Sergei Bobrovsky is just full beast mode for three straight and Florida yep. wins. Um, and then if Vegas wins, I could see Eichel, but I'm going to go March or so. Like, this this guy was relatively silent within, like, the first, I don't know, a round and a half. Yeah. And then towards the late stages of the Edmonton series, he had a hat trick in the deciding game, and he's taken off ever since. And now he's tied with Dreisaitl in goals and tied for the playoff lead in points with 24. And for the most part, like, he would, he had an okay regular season, but he didn't shoot the lights out. He had an okay regular season. He was a quiet contributor on, you know, a Vegas team that relied on 
on his scoring and his scoring has been relatively consistent uh, throughout his time there but uh nowhere near where it was in like for example 2017 18 and the 30 goal seasons that he had with florida um but he's just found another gear in the playoffs and i think the team is really fed off of that so i would say marchie is gonna get it which would be perfect karma for uh, <laughs> Florida's sus trading is literally going to the finals and then watching the two key guys you just tossed away to Vegas beat you for the cup. Yeah, yeah. That'd be crazy. But I don't know. I guess it could happen. Um, just uh, by the way, to um, uh, taking a look at the NHL.com website, there are only two goalies with a better save percentage than Aiden Hill. Uh, Martin Jones, who faced two shots in a game and stopped both, uh, and Jack Campbell, who stopped 49 of 51 yeah. over um, four appearances for the Oilers in the playoffs. So basically, he has a better save percentage than Shashirkin, who had yep. 931, a better save percentage than Sorokin, who had a 929, and even a better save percentage than Freddie Anderson, who uh, put up yep. a 927. I, but it should be noted that Jack Campbell, Freddie Anderson, and Shostakin have a better GAA than Eden Hill does. But yeah, but yeah, of course True, the save percentage but is also. I think I think when it comes to save percentage, uh, that that might be the more concerning. Uh, yeah. That might be the more concerning stat for a goalie. If it's like a nine oh one, for example, like you could have a two point four one GAA. But your save percentage is 901, mm. and that could be because you're playing in front of a very good defensive team. Yep. Aiden Hill is playing very good in front of a good defensive team, but he's held up his end of the bargain as well. He's made the timely saves when it's mattered, and, and game one, the save, yep. Vegas's version of the save, I think is a pivotal point in the series where at the time it's like, wow, what a save. But when you look back, it's just like that set the tone for Vegas's run to the finals and their moment of glory, the mm -hmm. moment where they finally climbed the NHL summit and won it all. Yeah, and yeah. I think that that save has catapulted them to this point. Yeah, no, that's totally fair. Um, yeah, also like Jack Campbell only played in four of those games as well. So. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. it's a very unreliable stat, which is why I don't really look at it often. But when I see that stat and say, wow, even with his incredible stat, only two other goalies that don't even have the workload of him mm -hmm. have posted a better save percentage. Yeah. And both have barely played in comparison. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, uh, that about does it here for us on Lace Them Up. You can follow us on Twitter at Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. Um, although, to be honest, we don't really post on either of those accounts anymore. It's more just if you want to be updated on your episodes um, and when, when new episodes come out. So, uh, yeah, uh, stay tuned there if you want to uh, see what's going on there. Uh, you can also subscribe to us at uh, on iTunes, Spotify, wherever else you get your podcast. Um, and yeah, uh, that's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Alter. We'll talk again. Episode 369 of the List of My Podcast.